From Peter, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. From Mark, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. From Paul, what shall I do, Lord? And from Jesus, love one another. There he was, shining like the sun, his clothing brighter than any bleach could get it. His face was radiant. Is that enough? Dennis, before coming to a deep, life-altering faith, used to say, show me a burning bush. We kind of say that, don't we? Show me a burning bush. Well, the creation, God made the sun and the moon and the stars. That's kind of a burning bush for starters. And yet today we kind of look at it and go, it's nice. It's very nice. So here's Jesus on Mount Tabor with Peter, John, and James, and he shows himself transfigured, metamorphosed from the miracle man they've been hanging out with. So they already know there's something up with this man. But he's now radiant man, ablaze, with a brightness of light that is just not seen down here inside a human being. How will this display affect them? Peter, John, and James knew that mountaintops were where significant things would happen. After all, it was on Mount Sinai that Moses got the Ten Commandments and where he... uh, himself saw a burning bush. It was on Mount Moriah where Abraham went to sacrifice his son. So here we are now on Mount Tabor with Jesus, the same Jesus who got them thinking about his identity just six days earlier. Who do crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Elijah, one of the ancient prophets, after which Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Messiah of God. The Messiah of God. This Messiah of God, Jesus, is now standing before them on a mountain with raiment, and face ablaze. He is transfigured. Clearly, Messiah has identity dimensions that Jesus wants them to know. There was so much that the disciples needed to know and to understand about what his being Messiah actually meant. Jesus effectively said to Peter, John, and James, let's take a hike to a remote mountaintop, and the view will amaze you. Why Peter, James, and John? Thomas Aquinas was convinced that the disciple John was there because he was the one whom Jesus loved. 
James was there because he was to be the first martyr of the disciples. And Peter was there because upon him, he would be the rock upon which Jesus would establish his church. On Mount Tabor, Jesus was shifting the focus of these three purposely selected disciples off of what Jesus had been doing and onto who he is off of what Jesus has been doing and onto who he is. Unlike Moses who saw a burning bush, unlike Moses whose face shone after meeting with God in the tent of meeting, unlike Paul who saw a bright light from heaven on the road to Damascus, Jesus was transfigured, metamorphosed, into a radiance of face and clothing. He was ablaze with supernatural brightness of heaven. The three disciples were seeing Jesus as himself, was as embodied light. In short, they were seeing someone who was otherworldly. He was divine. So the disciples already knew Jesus was a worker of miracles and a preacher of such wisdom as no carpenter's son would ever have. By the time they got to the transfiguration of Jesus on Mount Tabor, they'd seen Jesus do miracles in Capernaum, calm a storm-tossed sea, heal a demon-possessed man, raise a dead girl back to life, heal a sick woman, feed 5,000 people. They'd seen all of that. They'd seen even more. But Jesus knew that miracles alone would never be enough. He knew that wisdom alone would never be enough. He knew that being born in a manger with a huge display of brilliant angels in the sky over the shepherds would never be enough. Even using a bright star to lead wise men would never be enough. Jesus knew that miracles and teaching alone would never be enough to move unbelievers towards being believers and to, and this is important for the early church, to sustain them and us today, quite frankly, as bearers of this incredulous story which Jesus wanted them to tell the world. Jesus knew they and we would need more. How could they tell the story of Jesus his identity and purpose of saving the world and its people from darkness without more. The disciples, new believers, us, we need more than just the miracles, which I think are pretty staggering. And if you ever have one, please tell me because that'll be in the next sermon. (laughs) But let's move back to the scene. On Mount Tabor, when Jesus shifted the focus off of who he's what he's been doing onto who he is, Jesus wanted to establish that he was distinct from Moses and Elijah. They were there also on purpose, given the divine revelation that was happening here. 
St. Augustine, reflected, uh, reflecting on the radiant appearance of Jesus, concluded that Jesus was the true light which enlightens everyone coming into the world. What the sun is to the eyes of the flesh, he wrote, that is the Lord to the eyes of the heart. We agree with Augustine on this. Looking at Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain, we too can conclude, whoa, Jesus is the true light. And not just a flashlight, let me shed some light on that sort of light, but in his essence, the transfiguration supernaturally displayed and establishes the truth that Jesus is in his essence different from other created beings, including Moses and Elijah. This shape-shifting moment, to borrow a term from science fiction, which the disciples witnessed with their own eyes, showed that Jesus was, in fact, divine. I did not learn that we were supposed to think he was divine until I was way deep in the faith. I was like, what? Wait, what? I, I just did not know that. When Moses and Elijah briefly appear on the scene, Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets, the relative importance of Jesus to Moses and Elijah becomes clear. Because consider, why does the scene suddenly shift from having them all three there, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and Peter babbling, uh, let me build three tents, one after another, just one, two, three, three tents for them to be in. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah disappear. The tents are, aren't, didn't even happen. Peter was terrified, we read, when he said that. And it's just Jesus standing there with his three disciples that he purposely selected to come with them. Moses and Elijah, valuable, so important, took up most of the Bible, <laughs> were the moons. Jesus is the sun. Moses and Elijah reflected out the light. Jesus was the light, the embodiment of God himself. We say it every Sunday, God from God light from light, of one being with the Father. Moses and Elijah had served as runways. Jesus was liftoff. Brian Zahn suggests in one of his books that the reason Jesus is standing there alone without Moses and Elijah is because everything in the entire body of scriptures was leading up to Jesus. Unlike Moses and Elijah, Jesus is the exact representation of his Father in heaven. Jesus hoped all people everywhere would come to know him as fully human, yes, but also fully divine. Light is such a major revelatory tool in scriptures for a reason. It's used 263 times in the, in the Bible, not to mention num the number of times radiance or shone or shine is used. And we've seen today 
in the gospel that we heard and in our imagination, envisioning it, a fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied 2,500 years ago. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Jesus is the light which Isaiah foretold. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. I don't know about you, but I mean, I tended to think of that as like, yeah, 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 you're showing us things. It's a flashlight. I had him as a flashlight. Very wise, very revealing, very helpful. I didn't think he was the light. I mean, notwithstanding that we say it every week in the Nicene Creed. I just didn't get it. Peter, who was an eyewitness and knew the story to be so fantastical as to be unbelievable, wrote a letter to be circulated to the fledgling churches. Thank you, um, Jennifer, for reading that this morning. To all the people who were deciding, do we believe in Jesus? Do we not? This is kind of, whoa, total paradigm shift. Peter wrote, We do not follow cleverly devised myths. In other words, we're not making this stuff up. So let's go come back to our question. Are the revelations at the transfiguration combined with the miracles and his wisdom and the Old Testament runway into Jesus and the new? Is that enough? Enough for what, we might ask? Well, first off, obviously enough to move us to move with both feet and heart to be fully uh, surrendered to Jesus. I think most of us here have done that. So how about this? This is a challenge. I remember asking this question because it's actually in the uh, confirmation stuff when you go through it with the teenagers. Is it enough to tell someone else about Jesus? Whoa, that's a tricky one. People that don't know about Jesus. Is it enough to listen to my son? That's what God asks of us. Listen to my son. I think we could do that. At the transfiguration, God said, listen to my son. And so what does the son say? He said... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbors the same as you love yourself. He also later said, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. This is where God used to lose me completely. You see, God loves unconditionally in a I'll-never-leave-you-nor-forsake-you kind of way. I had no idea what kind of love that was. I grew up in a very performance-based, conditional love setting. So I became an extreme striver instead of an ardent lover, a skilled faker instead of a true soul facing the world as I was. Winning awards produced love, 
So that's what I did all through high school and college. Boy, did I know how to perform. (laughs) When I committed my life to Jesus as an adult, though, and reflected on Jesus' words, the words that we're supposed to listen to, the words, love your neighbor the same as you love yourself, I sort of like felt like my neighbor would be getting the raw end of the deal. Like, well, that's not very good love. This dilemma, this difficulty was my difficulty. Each of you has your own difficulties of what love one another or an obstacle to doing that would be. So I thank God that the parish council at Trinity and Father Tim honed a who we are, a Trinity statement that said we're, we're people connecting with God, and connecting with each other, with community, with our neighbor, and connecting with creation. And I thank God that Canon Tim initiated as an umbrella over all of this a saturating rain on us for two years of the way of love that we had the small home groups with. Wherever you are on your journey, know that it is a journey leading to a love so beautiful that we can scarcely fathom it. Jesus, who is the light of the world, will be a lantern at each of our feet. So does the transfiguration help? Is the reality of his essence, his being fully human but also fully divine, enough to strengthen your faith, my faith, according to the measure of our hope? What the three disciples saw on the mountain was a wonder. Are we okay with wondrous? I think that's one of the reasons why we're supposed to come to Jesus, come to God like a child. They know how to wonder. Are we okay with wondrous? With a man who pulls back the curtain of his humanity and shows himself to be divine. I hope we're okay with wondrous because we're going to see a lot more like mercy and forgiveness and new life that he'll give us and that we'll give others, all because we'll be loving one another. As the Christmas song goes, oh, the wonders of his love, the wonders of his love, that's twice the wonders of his love. It's a wonder. From Peter, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, i.e., we didn't make this stuff up. They were there. They were eyewitnesses. From Mark, well, quoting from God, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. From Paul, what shall I do, Lord? From Jesus, love one another. Let's end with a moment of peace. You can shut your eyes if you want to. 
You know, imagine what a 12th century German mystic Hildegard of Bingen saw. I saw a radiant light as bright as the dawn with a deep purple glow shining through which was the mystery of God's incarnate Son. Let's pray. Gracious God, shine the light of the transfigured Lord upon each of us. Transform us into the likeness of your Son and make us ready and eager to grow in love for you and for one another. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.